It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's to the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time to break down Denzel Mims' film. So for that, of course, we bring in, as always, the man who hosts Blewett's Blitz over on JetsXFactor.com, Mr. Joe Blewett. Joe, what's going on, sir? Um, as you know, the the draft has, has come and went, but I'm still working through all of the draft guys. Uh, just did all of the Mims show, did the Ashton Davis show. Um, and I'm now working on Zuniga and probably then P. Ryan and Mackay Beckton. So there's a ton of stuff to uh, <laughs> to do right now, including free agents and now Frank Gore and Pierre Desaire and, and Van Roten. So it's just a never-ending trend of, of uh, breaking down film and uh, doing all that stuff before the season, which uh, hopefully happens in September, but we'll see. Should mention that we're about to talk about Denzel Mims, but if you're a subscriber at JetsXFactor.com, you get to watch the full film breakdown of Mims by not only Joe, but also former New York Jet Marcus Coleman, who is also a former guest on this show. So let's get into this, Joe, and talk about Mr. Mims. First of all, there has been a lot of talk about how his route running is not what it needs to be, and that's a big part of the reason why he slipped in this draft. Brett Coleman was on the show. He did a video called Denzel Mims Sleeper Superstar, and when he came on the show, he said that he believes that while Mims is not the greatest route runner of all time, and he's certainly not Jerry Judy, his route running is a lot better than people give him credit for. Do you believe that as well? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's it's severely lacking in so many areas. It's it's more that it's a few areas that are relatively easy to clean up um, from what I saw uh, in terms of his hands being ready for for contact when he's when he's coming off of a press release. That's something he definitely needs to work on. Um, and there's certain things at the top of his routes and his, and his breaks that he needs to do. Um, there's some times onto that 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 break step. He kind of throws his body into the step and, instead of slamming his body down into the ground. And if you're trying to stop or go backwards or go sideways throwing your body forward and kind of jumping into that step is not um, conducive to, to shifting your body whatever way you may want to go. So some things like that, uh, committing to his second his second soft step, uh, he gets his eyes out of his brakes too early, he'll lean out of his brakes. There's little things like that. Um, releases, there's times where he doesn't do enough to manipulate the hips of the, of the corner, create false steps. There's some times where um, when he's breaking back inside or outside, you know, his, his leg might get a little bit too um wide where again that's not conducive to cutting the opposite way because you know try to try to break to your left if you're doing a, a split you know it's a little bit hard to do that so he has to work on getting his his feet under um his frame more but then there's a lot of other good stuff with his routing how physical he is um how he uses his body how he uses his hands the subtle push-offs or even the really dramatic push-offs that you see that he looks like deandre hopkins at times with how aggressive he is uh with his with his uh 
route breaks. Um, there's a subtle push offs so when he when he's going deep where he'll just kind of throw his arm halfway out there and he'll he'll hit a guy and it looks really subtle but you can see it on on tape when you slow it down that actually affected the play by a yard or two and a yard or two is a lot in the NFL which you know I, I think it's in kind of in uh, an understatement to say it's a game of inches I think it's a game of centimeters and I think I sent you a play the like maybe like a week ago or something Scott when I was doing his review and it was like a simple hitch route that a lot of people wouldn't even bat an eye to but it was something that was really interesting to me because I noticed through and specifically that play um, but through many of his routes that he he still makes really quick breaks with bad technique and that's something that's hard to do um, for any receiver especially a receiver who is 6'3 and he's a little bit leggy um, for as big as he is to make as sharp of breaks as he does with bad technique, like I said, lunging into that break step, not committing fully to the stop steps um, with either his upper body, his eyes, or his body lean. So um, I think he could be an excellent route runner, and people have talked about it for, for weeks. And um, I brought it up pretty quickly after drafting him that his biggest issue is route running, even though it may be over, or, you know, overstated. But the fact that Coach Jefferson, who obviously coached his son, Van Jefferson, very, very well in terms of route running, um, I think it's going to be a really interesting pairing because um, if Mims does develop that route running, I think he could be um, a top-notch type guy. And, you know, recent podcasts we've done, I know you're going to probably ask me, well, how many stats, catches, <laughs> touchdowns does he get? So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, yeah, his, his route running is not terrible. Now, obviously, he didn't run an expanded route tree. Um, with Baylor, it was a lot of it was about a lot of verticals, a lot of fades, a lot of slants, a lot, a lot of simple things. Um, where in the NFL, he's going to have to run uh, more double moves. He's going to have to run Colorado outs. He's going to have to run um, just a variety of, of more routes and even routes within more um, concepts. Because at Baylor, he was that X receiver on the backside, isolated, where he didn't really have to uh, time his route as well as if he was in a like a Z type role where he's going to, it's a multi-layered concept um, where he's going to have to be at a specific place at a specific time. So um, there's definitely development development that's needed with the route running. Um, but I still think that, uh, yeah, it might be a little bit overstated because there's definitely some good that he does. He shows, you know, really good potential to be uh, a very good route runner. You mentioned that he has trouble getting off press sometimes. And I know that that was something in your review you talked about as a weakness when I watched him, I didn't think it was that big of a weakness. I'm not saying that he doesn't have something to work on there. But when you compare it to the other wide receivers in this draft, I didn't think he had that much trouble getting off press. Am I crazy? No, it's, it's, not, it's not a weakness. I'm saying he never does it. It's, it's a weakness where you see too often where he gets, he gets a hand shot into his chest that he's not preparing for. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's closing ground. And when you're closing ground on a, on a press corner, you have to expect hands. And there was too many times where he's either dancing too much with his feet or his hands were low, were too low um, and not prepared for, for contact. And, you know, just in terms of the, that, you know, that's just in terms of the physical nature of it. Now when you're talking about press in terms of manipulating feet and, and, and hips, there was way too many times where he, he would use a simple release and not really, like I said, manipulate the hips or the feet. Um, the corner would be able to, to stay over top of the route, crowd the route break, and uh, the, the route would be pretty much shut down. So the, those two phases of getting off of press were, like I said, manipulating. He needs to do more consistently. And defeating hands, he needs to do more consistently. I'm not saying he never has done it um, because I wouldn't like to pick at all, but he definitely doesn't do it consistently enough to be to, for it to be considered a strength. That's, that's for sure. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. 
Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. When it comes to the other receivers in this draft that were highly thought of, whether it's Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, or even guys that were picked later on like Jalen Ragor and Van Jefferson, how would you compare Denzel Mims' ability to get off press to those guys? Now, I'm not saying in terms of how they do it, but I'm saying as far as how good he is at getting off of press compared to the rest of those guys, because that's kind of what I was getting at before, is that I agree with you that there are things he needs to fix, but I think compared to the other receivers that were pretty highly touted, a lot of them have similar issues in terms of getting off press. So I think that when we talk about that, it's important that people understand that he's not so far behind the eight ball as if it's some kind of incredible weakness that he can't overcome. You know what I mean? No, yeah, and and that's why I made sure to preface it when you asked again about saying that it's not like it's a weakness that I see him never do. I just Mm -hmm. need to see more consistency in his game. Um, And that kind of falls in line with, guys like Ruggs and like Lamb and obviously mm-hmm. don't get off the same way where Ruggs will get off with a lot of speed. He's not, you know, six three, two oh seven or whatever it is. I think it's right around there. Um with Mims it's different, but they both have inconsistencies where I, I think Ruggs had the same issue where he would not be ready for the hands when he was closing um distance on on the press corner, soft press corner or whatever um their their technique was in that uh, specific rep. So if where they and Ruggs got touted to be a good press release, where I thought he was actually a little bit, I, I was a little bit lower on his press release. So I'm not saying it's bad. I just think it's it's all right 
and all right in college is not going to work consistently in the NFL because there was times where, you know, college corners and me and Marcus talked about on the podcast and we don't get why college corners basically don't play with their hands and open their gate immediately. It bothers both of us when we watch it. So mm-hmm. um, he had more success against guys um, who would play with bad technique, but I thought go- going into the NFL level, which might look like a, a good snap on college versus some, you know, college team that we've never heard of might not be, um, successful in the NFL if they were to keep their hips square, shuffle, and and get into his chest and not let not, not let him bow his routes out and things like that um, after not manipulating the hips. So not in a glaring weakness. So I'm saying he'll never be able to do it. I think with his combination of size, speed, strength, he's going to be able to threaten corners in a lot of different ways. So I think it will actually turn into a strength. But um, playing the offense like he did, um, it, it limited him a little bit. So uh, I wouldn't worry about it for sure. It's just a, a, an area that needs development. And there's no college player who comes into the NFL and doesn't need um, an area of development. Like just like, you know, Lamb, if we're talking about Lamb, his press releases, he didn't see a lot of, a lot of press releases. So um, how good is he going to be at that where he might beat it with power as well? But Mims had seen a little bit more. I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a loaded question. I'm, I'm going to say it's, it's, it's not something to be overly concerned about. Uh, but it definitely still needs work at the same time. You mentioned his speed, and one thing that sort of stuck out to me, and you hear this as a criticism, is that he didn't necessarily play to his time speed all the time. Now, that doesn't mean he was slow by any stretch, but he ran a 4.38 at the Combine, and when you watch him on tape, he didn't really pop as a 4.38 kind of guy. Did you notice that too? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of of uh, something that's overstated. I still think his play speed is fast. Now, does mm-hmm. it translate necessarily into a four three eight? Maybe, maybe not that fast. But I would still, I would say he still looks like a four four type guy mm-hmm. um, on space or you or in space where you could see him, you know, with with a corner um, in his hip pocket and it, when it's not a fade um, and the quarterback's actually trying to throw the ball vertically, he'll he'll turn on that on that on those jets, no pun intended. And uh, and accelerate and and make that touchdown catch. So uh, is it a four three eight? Maybe not. Maybe he looks like more of a mid four four type guy. Um, but I still think he has plenty enough speed to to be a deep threat. And I, I still think he's um, faster. And he showed more speed on tape than both Lamb and Judy. Obviously, he didn't have more speed than than Ruggs. Um, but it's definitely up there. And uh, I, I think it could have been limited a little bit in terms of what he what he was asked to do in college. Because if he's running a lot of fade routes. Uh, there's you're not really supposed to have a ton of speed on, on those fade routes. Um, and when you're looking back to the quarterback and expecting the ball to your back shoulder um, and you're trying to box the guy out from the sideline, then maybe it doesn't show as much if you just ran straight nine routes. So um, I, I don't think that's something to be concerned about either. Like I, I think he played plenty fast, even though, uh, you know, are we going to argue a four three eight four three nine to a, a four four five? It, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. He's, he's plenty fast to get over the top. What do you think about the criticism that he's the product of the Baylor system? Because that's something that you heard a lot, too. To me, that was sort of a hollow criticism because from what I watched, most of the production that he got, he earned. And it wasn't some sort of setup along the lines of what you would have seen from CeeDee Lamb. And I'm not saying that he's better than CeeDee Lamb, but we talked about CeeDee Lamb before the draft. And CeeDee Lamb didn't face a lot of things that he's going to have to deal with in the pros. Like you said during the film review when we talked about Lamb, he didn't really have to get off press coverage at any reliable rate. Whereas, obviously, Mims was pressed a lot more. Did you think that he was a product of the Baylor system to any extent? 
I, uh, that's the first time I heard that. And it's actually, it actually makes me laugh because, uh, <laughs> me and Marcus talked about it. We watched the film. If anything, he was a detriment of his system. Um, not running a lot of routes and running, running a lot of vertical routes. Let's re, let's corner set up, um, in the way where they think you're going to run vertical or you think they're going to run fades on you. Uh, and then another detriment of the system. Okay. So he's running a lot of fade routes. So somebody brought up, okay, well, he had to get a lot of yak. How many guys get yak after a fade catch when, when it's a 50 50 ball? Uh, he had the second most, uh, you know, 50 foot, uh, 50, 50 bulk, uh, contested catches, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I think he was number two in, in, in college with 20. So how many guys catch a 50, 50 ball, uh, break a tackle, break another tackle and then run. So people are, Oh, well, he doesn't have a lot of yak. He doesn't have yak potential, which is complete crap in, in my opinion. Um, so that was a detriment of the system. Not running a ton of, a ton of routes is a detriment of the system. And a lot of his routes weren't in space. Like I said, a lot of his routes was the X receiver isolated on the backside, whereas him, um, versus, versus another guy where he wasn't in multi-layered concepts like a C.D. Lamb was where he was running in space wide open a ton of times and caught a ball and was able to run for a 60-yard touchdown um, because he was wide open. And that, that's why I said I thought C.D. Lamb, who does have good yak ability, I thought it was a little bit overstated because he was playing versus guys, uh, you know, specifically uh, if you look at like that Texas tape, which I know, you know, you you are a Texas fan, uh, the play where he, he catches a ball, I think it was a flea flicker, catches up the right sideline. There's like five Texas players around him. They all take absolutely terrible angles and he runs in for a touchdown. That's just not going to happen in the NFL. So I don't think it's very translatable um, or as translatable as some other things for C.D. Lamb. Um, so no, no, he was not. <laughs> he was not a product of the system in any sort of way. And whoever said that has absolutely no idea uh, what they're talking about or really reaching. I'll, I'll go to I'll go to war with anybody on that one. That's that's one of the dumbest things I've heard in in a while. So, Joe, did the drops concern you at all? Because that's another thing that a lot of people seem concerned about. Yeah, and uh, again, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, his his junior year, he, yeah, he he battled some drops, but you also have to look a little bit deeper into. It. He's playing with a broken hand. It's kind of. He- I don't know about you, Scott. I don't know how well you catch a ball, but try to catch that ball down with a broken hand. I don't think it's gonna be necessarily the easiest thing. So yeah, he had some drops, you know, in his junior year. Um, and in that senior year, uh, I think I brought it before that he had a lower drop percentage um, than than both. Uh, Judy and Lamb. I, th- I think he was he was like four point three percent drops. Uh, Judy was like four point five, and Lamb was like five point three. And that's per ESPN stats and info. I, I think that um, Pro Football Focus had him at high, at a higher drop rate. Um, but also, what do they consider a drop? Especially when you're looking at a guy who had twenty contested catches, the second most in the nation uh, last year. Then what are you considering considering a drop? Like a fifty fifty ball is that a drop? Like what what is it? So um, I think the drop problem. If he was coming out from his junior year, then, yeah, it's more of a concern because, okay, well, was it the broken hand? Was it him? I think it definitely is harder to catch a ball with a broken hand. So uh, he definitely uh, – that, that knocks down that concern even in his junior year. But he had a senior year. He came back, didn't drop a lot of balls, won a lot of 50-50 balls. He made some absolutely ridiculous catches that no other receiver would be able to make. Uh, there's, there's catches he made um, that guys even like Lamb couldn't make just because of his size and length. There was catches that Judy couldn't make. There's catches that Ruggs couldn't make because Ruggs is 5'11". So he uh, gave his quarterback the ability to just toss the ball up in his general region and, and, and or area, and he would just snag it uh, because of really strong hands and, and his body frame and what he's able to do. Like, like I said, his length being 34 inches or 33 and 7th, 8th or 7 8th inches um, is solid for an offensive lineman you know, reach. So um, I think the drop thing is, is way, way overblown. That was not something I saw on film. I didn't really see him drop any balls um, on film. I think the one drop – I know he had one drop in the end zone. Um, that wasn't really pretty necessarily, but 
uh, that's going to happen every once in a while. So I, I think it's definitely overstated. If I do have any concerns, um, again, it's the route running, the press releases, the, the route breaks, but they're all things that are pretty uh, easily fixable. And I think that also uh, the Baylor system that did not benefit him in, in learning how to do those things. So um, another notch against whoever, whatever idiot said that. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely overstated. He doesn't have a, a a big drop issue because, like I said, if if Lamb has the strongest hands in the world and has a higher drop rate than Mims, and I guess Mims has really good hands too. I want to talk about his strengths now because yeah. I saw so many things that I really loved about Mims to the point where you and I talked about it before the draft. I never in a million years thought that this guy was going to be on the board at 48, let alone 59. So I look at him and I see the ability to really locate the ball, to win those 50-50s, to be a huge red zone weapon, to make these contested mm-hmm. catches. Even on the sideline, you see so many of these highlights of him making these incredible catches. Now, you want to watch more than just the highlights because the highlights are highlights. They show you what's good. If you go and watch Josh Allen's highlights from Wyoming, you're going to think he's the greatest quarterback of all time. You really got to dig in and watch all the game film. But there are so many things that this guy can do, even some of the tricks that he pulls when Brett Coleman was on he talked about the dead leg release that he used to really fool defensive backs a lot of the times so tell me about the strengths that you saw from Denzel yeah. Mims here yeah I know exactly what he talked about the dead leg release because I, I I saw the video that he posted on YouTube of the dead leg uh, where he would dead leg and then beat a guy um, inside that corner after dead leg you know play with heavy inside leverage he beat him to the outside he actually did that again in that game versus the same corner um, that that Coleman didn't highlight. I don't know if it was just time of the video or whatever. And Coleman obviously does great work, but I noticed the same thing uh, in the Texas film where he sets guys up with his releases, um, makes makes them think he's going to break a certain way, break the other way, and then he'll do the same thing again. And they they think that okay, well I got you now, and <laughs> he releases to the opposite <laughs> way that they're thinking and beats them. So like there's definitely some some good stuff there. And just to go back really quickly because my mind works at a thousand thousand paces per per second sometimes. Uh, the Mims thing too, like not even just talking about, oh, well, you know, he, he was not in multi-layered concepts on, uh, you know, as a Z or, oh, well, he wasn't this. The only thing I had to say about his system in, in Baylor is 20 contested catches. How much did they really do for him? The, the second most in the country contested catches. Like, that's all you got to say. That's such a simple stat. So whoever said that, I don't care who it is. I don't care top-notch analyst guys. They either didn't watch or they don't know what they're talking about. Um, and I will, like I said, I'll go to war on that. Um, now, in terms of his, his strength, there's a reason, and I, I think we'll get to it later, but I think he could be a legit number one um, receiver in the NFL. You look at the, the 6'3 frame with 207, uh, 33 and 7 8 7 inch arms, which is like what offensive tackles have um, in the NFL. So his ability uh, to go up for the ball and then extend, like he, he, you see a lot of guys jump up for the ball and they're kind of straight up and down vertical but he has the ability to like extend his arms a, a, another inch as he like arches his back. It's like a crazy thing that he can do that you don't see a lot of guys do. So he has um, a ridiculous catch radius. Uh, he catches a ton of balls outside of his frame. Um, I, his hands are strong. Now he had a drop or two in, in his junior season where he, uh, where he broke his hand, but per ESPN stats and info, and I hate stats people um, <laughs> to be honest, but they had, they had him at a lower drop rate. Uh, than both Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb um, last season. And by the way, CeeDee Lamb had a higher drop rate than, than Jerry Judy for all the people who say Jerry Judy has terrible hands. But um, that's, a, that's a story for a different day. So uh, great hands. He's able to pluck balls out of the air. Uh, multiple times you'd see him catch a ball with one hand and, and just scoop it in with his fingertips, like some ridiculous catches that it's hard to even explain. 
Um, there was a one play on the sideline where they threw a fade and he caught the ball. And somebody said that, you know, you should put in the, uh, the Mario bounce down. And then Michael Mania did that. It's hilarious. So he has that just a crazy contention catchability. Um, like I said, his, his speed, his speed put, uh, plus strength combo is going to be hard to defend because you, do you play him over the top or do you, do you try to crowd his route break? And it's, going to be hard decisions for corners to make because he can beat you in so many different ways. He, he, he has the ability to run really good routes because of how strong his lower body is. Uh, he has the ability to make contested catches. He has the ability to beat you um, vertically. He tracks the ball uh, well. The one thing I noticed about his hands, too, and I, I think it's going to be a benefit of him going to the NFL level is he catches ball uh, balls with really good hand positioning where you see a lot of guys clap the ball. They catch the, the midpoint of the ball or the end point of the ball. And in, in the NFL, when there's tighter windows, it's going to lead to more dropped balls because you don't uh, have the ball as firmly. Where CD, uh, not CD Lamb, where uh, Denzel Mims does a really good job of getting his hands tight, uh, extending to the ball with his fingertips, um, and then catching the tip of the ball where you're able to really secure that, where a lot of guys will catch it like, like flat handed. And the, the problem with catching a ball flat handed is it tends to bounce off your palms, where if you extend your fingertips towards it, they kind of act as like shock absorbers where. Uh, your fingertips slow down the ball, and then it goes into your palms instead of smacking your palms and falling off the ground. So there's a lot of things that <laughs> I went over in my show with uh, Marcus that that will that were strengths. So uh, box, they'll box guys out. Um, he blocks, which is good. And mm-hmm. I, I I lose respect for the people who say don't show me blocking reps of wide receivers because if you think it doesn't matter, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, it shows me one, you're not soft. It shows me dedication to the team. Um, and there's plenty of big plays that could have or were not broken because wide receivers didn't block. And he does a really good job stalk blocking, um, pulling his pelvis into guys, bringing his elbows tight, um, and not drawing holding calls. Because when you're when you're farther away from guy, when your arms are extended, the refs see the more herky-jerkiness of arms being extended. And you know, and obviously having a guy tighter to you, you have more strength. All you have to think about is, okay, hold a gallon of milk with your arms completely extended or hold a gallon of milk with it really tight to your chest. In which way are you going to be able to hold that gallon of milk for, for longer? You know, so he does a good job with, with that. Um, the physicality in his routes, the, the light hands, is another thing that we, you know, myself and Marcus brought up. You see a lot of college guys who, when they're tracking the ball, their arms are extended looking for the ball, you know, too early um, before the ball comes there. And when corners at any level or should be at any level, uh, coach that when you're, when the hands are extended and, or not the hands are extended, but if you're beat, by a receiver, you want to work through the hands, whether that be smack, smack the hands down, uh, put your arm and punch it through uh, the arms so you can't pull the ball back into your body. It leads to incompletions. But when you do that thing, you know, air quote, light, uh, late hands, is it doesn't let the corner work through those hands. So there's a, there's, there's a lot of good things he does in terms of boxing guys out, late hands, strong hands, uh, the physicality he has. Like I said, the, the strength in his lower body to get out of breaks, even with bad technique at 6'3", is really interesting. There's so, he, he is raw in some areas, but uh, if, if he's able to develop those routes and those press releases, um, which I think Coach Jefferson will be able to do, because, again, we've stated that it's not something that's just like so bad that it's unfixable. I think it definitely is inconsistent and it needs work. But, again, I'm not saying it's unfixable. Um, if he fixes those things, uh, he, he could definitely be pretty legit. So, uh, I'm super excited he fell. Uh, wanted him at 48. Was kind of panicking when they traded down. I didn't think he was going to be there. I thought he should have been a first-round receiver. I'm really, really shocked that he's not. Uh, both and Marcus and I you know, were. And in terms of, like, maybe we'll get into this later, but uh, I think he has one of the higher ceilings in the draft class where I think the other guys are, are somewhat limited um, in, in certain areas where, you know, rugs I don't think will ever be a true – 
a true number one. I just don't think his game really translates to that. Like, there's only one number one speed guy like that, or really two that I can think of less, like, ever since I've been watching football, and it's really like Tyree Kill um, and Deshaun Jackson, but that's, that's a, you know, a hard feeling to reach. And you have Judy, who reminds me more of, like, uh, the Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen type, and they're great, but are they, like, top three, top five guys? I don't, I don't think so, even though, obviously, you'd be ecstatic with either one of them. Um, and Lamb, I, I think he doesn't necessarily have uh, the the size speed that a guy like Mims has, or just the strength overall. Like a lot of people compare him to DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins has like 20 pounds on him. Um, so in terms of his feeling, I, I think it's really high. I'm I'm rambling, Scott. You gotta you gotta save me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned Hopkins because I was gonna ask you what you thought in terms of comparisons because. I look at Denzel Mims and I don't see one particular receiver. I see a combination of a variety of receivers. So I look at what he does physically, the way he pinpoints balls and wins these contested catches, the 50-50 balls, and I see somebody like Brandon Marshall, which is also what I see when I see him ferociously blocking on running plays. See a little bit of Braylon Edwards in there too. Then when I look at the way that, as Brett Coleman described it, he looks at the wide receiver position as a moving boxing match, I see some of DeAndre Hopkins in there. And then when I look at the way that he runs some of these routes, I see a little bit of Jordy Nelson. Now, all four of these guys that I just mentioned were all excellent receivers. We're talking about pro bowlers, bona fide number one guys. Do you see that, a mixture of a bunch of different receivers, or is there one receiver in particular that you really think he resembles? Yeah, it's um, and I, I get like a bunch of comparisons because there's a bunch of different traits you can compare him to. Like you said, the blocking with Brandon Marshall, or the hands and uh, the physicality in his routes, like DeAndre Hopkins, or um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Chris Godwin because of something else, because of how their body looks. I, when I watched him, um, and I know you're setting me up for this, uh, AJ Green is, is somebody I, I think of. Um, they're really similar in terms of size. I think they're both. I think it's six three, six four. And they're both like 207, so their their frames are really um, similar. Where they both have really long arms. I think AJ Green looked at as kind of like a skinnier guy, but he's really not. Like he's a little bit lanky, but he still has power in his routes. Um, the way that AJ Green can contort his body in midair, um, the flexibility he has to to be able to reach out for balls, or like I said, contort it to to make a weird catch in whatever situation it may be. Uh, the hand strength, the route running. I see the most similar comparison being AJ Green. Um, but they are a little bit different, you know, in certain aspects as well, where maybe AJ Green's a little bit more explosive, but uh, Mims is a little bit more physical. But I, I think that AJ Green probably is the closest resemblance for me when I, when I watch him. And if you get an AJ Green, uh, you know, fantastic. Like he's a legit, he was a legit top five receiver, number one for, for many, many years until he's battled them some uh, injury questions, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. But, you know, I also like yours as well, where you talk about, you know, uh, Brandon Marshall and DeAndre Hopkins and Jordy Nelson, because if you throw those guys into a, you know, why not just, he's, he's like a he's freaking a lab superhero at that point. But uh, yeah, I, it's, he, he's definitely super um, interesting. His traits are some of the ones he has are unteachable and are the traits of a, of a pure number one wide receiver, uh, X receiver. And you hear a lot of people, Oh, well, you know, and again, it comes from stats, which is I'm always battling stats. Oh, but he he can't get yak. He can't be a number one guy. You know, not true. That's that's not that's not the case on film at all. Uh, it's based on how he was set up. Or oh, he can't do this or that or this. It's, I think it's all combatable. I think it's all kind of stupid arguments against him. So I don't know why he dropped. Uh, neither I or Marcus know why he dropped, especially 
you know, after watching his film, watching his senior bowl reps, watching all the things that we did, um, we really don't get it. The Jets got lucky because there was guys picked before him, uh, 12 guys. I know some like, like even Van Jefferson. I'm not sure if Claypool was. Uh, guys like T. Higgins, guys like Pittman. I don't get it over over uh, Mims. I, I really, really don't. Now, obviously, if a guy like, okay, uh, a, a Rager or whoever's picked before him, then, yeah, okay, maybe they want more of a, of a route runner guy to work into the multi-layered concepts. They, more, they need more of a zero slot guy. Okay, I get it. But uh, guys like Pittman over Mims, I, 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 it, it baffles me. It, it really does. And it's not just because the Jets drafted him. Um, I was saying this stuff before the draft. Uh, there's a reason why during my show I brought up the text before Mims was, was drafted and going into day two. I said he was my number one guy I want. And I remember uh, talking to you, Scott, actually, after day one. I think I was washing dishes that day, if I'm remembering correctly, we're on the phone. And I was saying that Mims is my number one guy that day. So uh, there's a reason I'm high on him after watching his film and breaking down even more. And you, you don't even really have to take my word for it. There's some people, like I said, you know, who are out there probably think I'm an idiot. If you don't believe me, you should believe a guy who played in the NFL for 11 years, played defensive back. He knows how to watch receivers. He, he saw guys like Calvin Johnson and uh, a, a, not A.J. Green. I think he's a little bit past that that point. But Or Andre Johnson, whoever. Whoever Marcus won't play against. He was playing against top receivers when he was, when he was a, a Jet for all those years. Um, he thought um, that he could develop into a, a top five receiver, which I don't think is something to take lightly. I, I think he knows what he's talking about. Like I said, playing in the NFL. Um, now, does he have to develop a lot of things um, before he reaches that? Yes, but we both agreed that he could be that legit number one. Um, and I don't want to just say, okay, yeah, he's going to be AJ Green. Yeah, he's going to be Julio. Yeah, he's going to be one of these guys. Um, but I think he has the the capability and the uh, kind of groundwork to be that type of guy because of what he what he did at uh, Baylor and what he uh, offers just in terms of his his physical makeup. So. Uh, hearing that got me excited, and I thought that was something that uh, was definitely worth sharing. That, like I said, NFL defensive back for many years think that you know this is the second round receiver the Jets just got uh, lacking weapons for so long, uh, especially true legit number one wide receiver. I'm one of the Jets, the last time the Jets have had one. Um, if Mims turns out to be that at the number 59 overall pick, I think it's like I said, it's going to be really exciting for, to uh, to watch over the next couple of years. If Denzel Mims can be anywhere near as good as you and Marcus Coleman think he can be, and if he can be anywhere near as good as A.J. Green, certainly, Jets fans will be holding a parade for Joe Douglas, I think, coming up sometime in the near future. Having had a homegrown wide receiver that good in a million years, maybe Al Toon when he was at his peak, that's probably the best that I could come up with right now. Keyshawn Johnson was really good, but even Keyshawn Johnson probably wasn't top five in the league good. So if he can become that type of player, what Altoon was before all the injuries mounted, what a steal the Jets may have gotten at number 59 overall. Joe Blewett, the host of Blewett's Blitz over at JetsXFactor.com. As always, thanks for coming on and breaking down Denzel Mims. I know there are a lot of film breakdowns that you're working on right now, a ton that you've already got in the vault and including the Mims Breakdown with Marcus Coleman. If people go over to JetsXFactor.com and subscribe, what do they have in store for them? Um, yeah, you get the full breakdowns. I put about a third to half of the breakdowns on Twitter. Um, I leave out the strengths and weaknesses for the website, and I also leave out the other two-thirds or the other half of the plays for JetsXFactor. Um, if you're not a subscriber, you could watch like half of the YouTube video as well, but you can't see the second half of it. You subscribe, you get that. Again, it's like $6 a month, though. And I think the first month is actually free, um, and some of the proceeds going to 
uh, help out with COVID-19, which is also a good thing that I think the site is doing or that we're doing. Um, so you get all that. And then, like I said, uh, I have plenty of stuff up there. Uh, you have Coleman breaking down Perryman with me. Uh, I broke down Beckton. I'm going to do Beckton part two, which is going to feature some all 22 angles and plenty of past sets that are big questions. So we're going to dive into that. Uh, doing Ashton Davis, um, which by the, listen, by the time you listen to this, it should be already up. Um, did were we doing pre-Ryan? We're going to be doing, you know, Cameron Clark. We're going to be doing Zuniga. We're, you know, if you watch the channel, we're going to be doing all these guys. Frank Gore, Desir, George Fant. Um, I think it's, it's worthwhile to, to subscribe for sure. Go head over to JetsXFactor.com. You'll get Joe Blewett. You'll get Michael Nania. Of course, Michael, a frequent guest on this show as well with Chronicles of Nania. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.